Ladies and gentlemen, damas y caballeros, welcome to Siempre Palante. Season 2 of Siempre Palante, Always Forward. I'm your host, Hirabo Luis Alvarez. Gracias for listening. In this episode, our guest takes us through the humble beginnings of sandwich, from the heartfelt story behind Table 7 to being recognized as the best Cuban sandwich you will ever have. The countless awards only scratch the surface to the impact sandwich is having around the world. Grab your cafecito and join me in welcoming co-founder of Sandwich, Daniel Figueredo. Sandwich to Miami is a brand that was based on culture. It was an idea to help revive what I felt was an erosion of our hospitality industry. I've been blessed just to say that I've been blessed with having the opportunity of traveling the world. I've visited over 40 countries and tasted many meals and shaken many hands and hugged many people to understand that there's tradition. So after being in an exhaustive corporate relationship, I decided to do something different. And so when we started Sandwich, we started Sandwich really on the premise of saying that Sandwich has to be 100% traditional. It has to be a place that evokes emotion. It has to be passionate. It has to be spontaneous. It has to have like that pulse that you get when you're in a Latin environment, that excitement, that rush of blood, that heat in your body, right? And so the basis of sandwich was that it has to be traditional. It can't be emulsified. It can't be eroded with different cultures. It had to be what we are. Sometimes we're loud and obnoxious, but we're caring and we're loving and we're considerate and we're respectful, but sometimes we can be really edgy and loud, right? This is like my whisper voice. Sandwich evokes all that. That's what sandwich is. Sandwich is our culture. It's our tradition. And I'm proud of it. Sí, eso es cultura. Yeah, so you've been blessed to meet these different cultures around the world, I mean, with those experiences and with what you know, this led you to Sandwich. So take me through those humble beginnings. I'm a studied architect. I'm an engineer, and I've done quite a bit in terms of design and building. The tides change, and Rose and I met. She was in the legal field for 17 years. And during my previous life, I used to invite my friends over for what we used to call the Bastards Lunch. And the Bastards was really based on a smoking club. I'm an avid Padron smoker, so I love to smoke cigars. The Padron family, they're an incredible family. They come from humble beginnings and have grown an incredible empire, and they've become very good friends of mine. And in that journey, seven of us would get together and religiously smoke cigars two or three times a week together as a unit. Back in those days, it was 2007, I'd invite them over the house and you know, we basically have cigars and, you know, good scotch and smoke cigars and I'd make lunch. In that experience over the course of like the year or two, I had a couple of my friends who were known as the seven and they encouraged me. It was like, yo man, you have something really special here. Why don't you open a restaurant? At that moment, you don't really understand what someone else is seeing, the lens of someone outside of your peripheral. You pay attention to lo que tuve. But obviously, as you're talking to all your friends, your friends shine something on you. And so I somewhat dismissed it. I'm like, you know, kind of like not really 
for me, I mean, clearly it's one o'clock in the afternoon. It's Friday. You're here smoking cigars and scotch. It's a pretty good life. Why would I want to compromise that to open up a restaurant? Because it's difficult. Bueno, Bobby, pasa los años. los años, during my travels, I have a secret obsession that most people don't know about me. When I'm alone, I tend to put ideas together, be it spreadsheets or sketches. And I have like droves of ideas in the chest. And so, you know, one of my travels, I kind of put this idea together. Okay, if I did it just to kind of entertain the brain, what would it look like? And it was a place called Meltwitch, believe it or not. And I designed the whole menu, trademarked the name. For me, it was like underground. It was a little thing that I put in a file, right? But I protected everything about it. I protected the name, the design, the menu. No one knew about it. It was in the chess. Like one day I might pull it out and be like, let's see what I do with this. So I meet Rosa. At that time, the economy wasn't the best. And I had to kind of reanalyze my life. I presented her. I literally pulled it off the shelf and it kind of dusted it off. I said, and I'm like, listen, what do you think about this? It was like something that was so quick right off the lip. And I'm yeah, this is beautiful and everything, but it should be Cuban. And I'm like, you're right. It needs to be Cuban. Because it was all French influence, you know, it was like all like open face sandwiches. And yeah, it was cool, but it didn't have an identity. Not the identity that sandwich has today, right? A relatable identity. So after that conversation, my brain got to work and she went off at that point. I was kind of like in this weird space and I had a lot of time in my hands. And so I spent a lot of time just really taking the idea, the template that I had to redesign and made a Cuban. And it was so easy for me because so Guano, it was easy for me to kind of infuse and understand one, because of my travels and my background, I was able to really put this whole thing together very easily. And when I presented it to Rosa, she was like, that's it. At that point, it was a matter of putting one foot in front of the other. That's it. You mentioned identity. And I feel that's what our families from Cuba reinvent when they come to the U.S. for a sueño americano. Who are some of the people that influence you in your life to help shape the identity you have today? It's a culmination of a lot of experiences, right? I'm not going to say I had the worst upbringing, but I didn't have the best upbringing. I've always considered my father to be a very strong, self-sustaining individual. I've had my mom, who also has a very strong personality. And those two people were really like the basis of who I am, good and bad. My mom being who she is, but also being somewhat submissive. And my father being who he is and very dominant and very Cuban rough around the edges and kind of like no filter. And if he's quick to say, oh, f- you, he will. Without having a good gauge, if he had to kind of smack you, he smacked you and you don't really understand why. So there's a nature versus nurture. So I was nurtured a certain way. I was nurtured in a way of having a strong discipline. I was nurtured to have respect for other people. You know, I was nurtured to clean up after myself and have dignity. I was also nurtured to have a quick temper, but I was also nurtured to be soft and humble and show a level of gratuity comes from that more maternal side of me, right? So you have that base. And I think from that base, you build. And then with time, you get to understand that nature has a certain role in your life and nurture has a certain role in your life. And so I was nurtured to 
be strong and independent and somewhat rough around the edges, but be soft. But my nature was to always seek something that was bigger than me. I was nurtured not to. I was nurtured to be secure and take it easy, tranquilo, work your nine to five, make your little money, save, hopefully build into your pension and retire. There's a security that comes with that. Escultura. And then the nature side of me was like, no, there's something bigger, there's something brighter, and I'm willing to take chances. And so that just came from within. I had to learn very early on that I learned more from putting myself into uncomfortable situations than it was for me to go to school. I graduated high school and I went to a great college. I dropped out from that great college. I went to another great college and I dropped out from that great college. Listen, we're going from Cornell, from Cornell to UF, from UF to, you know, this school and then Central St. Martin. And that whole scope, I realized that academics wasn't for me. I studied architecture all the way through. I studied engineering pretty much all the way through, realized it wasn't for me. And within months of a year of graduating, I said, wow, because it's not for me. It just doesn't feel right. Part of that was a little reckless because at the time, you're investing so much of your time into developing yourself that the outside world automatically judges you and says, you're reckless, you don't know what you're doing, and you're constantly being judged. And here I am being like, yeah, it's kind of reckless, but it doesn't feel right. Yeah, do I love it? Do I want to, I don't want to graduate being an architect. I don't want to do engineering. Yeah, can I do it? Yeah, but I don't want to do it. So I think those experiences and then realizing very early on that if I put myself in uncomfortable situations, that was my best learning environment. Like I remember getting jobs, man, being a textile engineer. Brother, I had no idea how to work a loom. None. But I put myself in a position that I had to learn how to work a loom. I understood what it was to thread a machine, to make a knit, to make a jacquard, to do this and do whatever it was to make a piece of fabric. And I f***ed up many times. And in that journey, I was able to discover myself. And I understood that I harnessed the power within me, that I was able to make decisions for myself and know what was comfortable for me and not for anybody else. I never competed against anybody else. I never competed against the Joneses. I don't give a whether you were driving a Lamborghini or you had a multi-million dollar house. I was perfectly fine in my Corolla and my little townhouse and I was good because I understood the power of me. And so growing up, the older I got, the rougher I got, the more mature I started to petrify and I felt good about my decisions and then it become unapologetic. Now I'm in a position of life where I'm unapologetic. I don't have to give you an explanation as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Why? Because I've been doing it for 20 years. I have served coffee. I have pushed the broom. I have worked for free and I have learned how to work with other people to obtain the things that I desire the most. And so sandwiches, it's my second real business. I mean, the biggest business I've designed so far because of the recognition, right? I have one prior to it, but I think this is really the culmination of all of my experiences to say that I have put in 20 years of work. I have the temperance to understand when to stay back and when to push. I have the understanding of when to say no, when to say yes. I have the engagement as an older man, I'm 46 years old, to understand what someone else needs of me. I understand what it is to serve others. I understand the value of money, the exchange of energy. And so I think it really is so many years of 
building relationships with other people and being uncomfortable and so many failures that have gifted me an opportunity to align all that hard work into a moment where it allows us to exercise a brand like sandwich. And then you have that luck that there's a chance, right? I don't think this would all be possible if I hadn't met Rosa. So there's also that trajectory. You know, you can only do so much before life says go right or left. Had I not met Rosa, sandwich would never be. I would be doing something else, successful or not. We'll never know, but sandwich would not be existent. I met her because of the position I put myself in life and maybe it's energy, maybe it's what it is, but life said, okay, you're doing something right. Lear to the right, you know, avoid this here. Have this opportunity, whether you accept it or not, this is going to open another door that's going to lead you to a place that we need you to be. And so it's all about how we feel about ourselves and the position we put ourselves in and the people we align ourselves with in this life, that life somehow also plays a vital role into where you ultimately end up. Did you know, Sabiaske, Sandwich is all about fiercely protecting our traditions. The following excerpt comes straight from their site. To a time when Abuela insisted on our third fixing and when our parents shared nostalgic historias of pre-revolutionary Cuba when La Isla was breathtakingly beautiful and thriving. To listening Arsenio Rodriguez's Turralo Pastora in the background as Abuelo sat on his rocking chair puffing on his second cigar del día. Whatever your traditions are, pass them on to your children, share them with a friend. Open up that libro de recetas that your mom passed down to you y ponte a cocinar for your family. Dust off that old vinyl y baila like you did cuando tú eras un niño en la sala de tu tía. Replay old películas and recall chistes de Pepito. Preserving the past helps shape our future. Keep your family's legacy alive. Taste la tradición. Now back to the show. Thank you for sharing that because I'm sure it brings back emotions and it brings back memories. Some great memories, some memories that were tough that you overcame. Part of this discussion, you know, it's overcoming adversity. When something doesn't go right is how you're going to deal with it. Our culture really plays a big influence in who we are as people. And I'm a firm believer that I see that in your business and sandwich. What are some of the things that really make you proud? I mean, just some of the things about our culture that really are in El Corazón. They're right there. They hit you. My father was an electrical contractor. My mom, she did billing for the hospital. So we grew up very humble. I don't remember going out to the restaurant like we do today, right? I don't remember going to the movie theater as often as I do today. I don't remember taking vacations like we do today. I remember hard times. I remember it wasn't always pretty. You know, I remember like it was just kind of arena and huevo. That was it. We always had what we needed. There was obviously times where we had what we wanted. I remember playing with egos and having those experiences. But I think when we go back to the times, I didn't understand those moments then as I do now as a parent to understand the economic impact our society has within our lifestyle, within how we raise our families and the accessibility to education and to resources that we have today. And so I look back and I think the things that I can relate to the most in my current state is our association with food and what food does, good and bad, 
I think what's important for me, to be honest, is that, you know, my upbringing wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst. Sometimes when we had a meal, yeah, it was kind of forced. You're going to sit your ass down. You're going to have what you're going to have because it's what we have and that's it. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't go out with bed and just go to bed. There's power in that. There's so much power in that moment as a child you don't understand. So growing up for me, my mom was a great cook. She still is a great cook. Listen, I'm in Miami, right? Everyone's going to kind of brawl and figure out who makes all the best frijoles, but my mom could throw it down. I remember my grandma doing abondigas and she can throw it down. And it was those moments of coming home that despite your differences, you were able to sit down and you were able to calm the storm a little bit because now you're doing something that everyone understands. It's a leveling playing field. It's a lot like when you go to sandwich. I've had billionaires sit next to someone who does my landscaping and they're having a conversation. And I don't think they each understand that from a society perspective, you know, one person's here and one person's here. But when you're sitting at our bar, you're all having a sandwich and you're all doing something that's necessity. It's a very basic transaction. And so food obviously has the deepest connection in my culture, aside from the music. It's something completely different, right? My dad wasn't very much of a dancer. My mom was. And I grew up listening to the music that my mom really loved to dance. And my mom used to secretly dance, right? And my dad was kind of like, eh, rough, like I don't dance. Like men don't dance. It's all cultural. Like there's beauty in that. As much as I don't like it, there's something to admire about it. It's about a period of time where a man's job was to provide for his family and he was the instrument. And he saw himself as that. That's his purpose. As a child, it's very different how to witness that individual, how he's activated within a family unit. And my mom as well, right? I remember the music. The music then became another part of my life. I remember listening to Hansen and Raul and Willie Chirino and there's a background to what we are. And so I think the things that influenced me the most growing up wasn't so much the food and wasn't so much the music as it was the stories, as it was the sacrifices of my grandfather and my grandmother and what they needed to do to make that life at that moment, which sometimes I thought was miserable, but also awesome, what it was. And what it means to me now as an adult, the sacrifices that that generation did to provide me that life then that it, that's providing for me now. So it's a very deep emotional connection to our culture. I was never born in Cuba. I was born in Chicago, first generation born in Chicago in the United States. My family, my mother and father came here at a younger age, but somehow you know, that fabric of tradition kind of makes its way up. And I've been fortunate to connect with it, to bind with it, and to relate in a way where I'm able to kind of carry that torch and play my part to make sure that it still has the significance that I feel it deserves. That's deep. And it made me think about the aesthetic and sandwich and the detail 
Is there a story that you can share of overcoming adversity that is within sandwich that a lot of people might look at it as like, that's beautiful. But you look at it as, yeah, it's beautiful. Pero hay algo ahí that I intentionally put there because it was part of who I am, who my family was, who we are as people. I'm going to try to hold my feelings back a little bit, right? Because our story has so many peaks and troughs. We've sacrificed so much more than many people think. I think when you put in your 10,000 hours and all of a sudden you're successful in whatever that means, people only recognize that, oh my God, he's, you know, Mr. Sandwich. And then you forget what's beneath the ocean surface. It's like this is a massive amount of effort and sacrifice and compromise. So I have spent so much time in building our brand that there are nooks and crannies of the restaurant that are still very emotional for me. There's two places. There's one place that I'll mention now publicly that many people don't know is that when I was building out the restaurant, we ran out of money. I was in the back. I built the restaurant. The restaurant that you walked into, I personally built it with my hands, right? I built the walls. I built the, the tables. I installed the countertops. I installed the windows. I installed the front facade. It was me. And so I blew out the front facade of Gaiocho. I like totally like tore it down just like in the vision of like, this is what needs to be. And I tore it down and all of a sudden I go to the back and I'm sitting in a bucket and I realized that I'm completely broke. And I have like, I don't know, three quarters of the restaurant to build out. I'm like, I'm broke. It was really late. It was definitely beyond midnight. And I'm crying and like I'm weeping in the corner. So by the bathroom, that last table, we call number seven. I cry so much, the floor is f***ing wet. It's a puddle of just tears. It's a difficult moment because you have to ask yourself, do I continue doing this thing or just throw in the f***ing towel and move on? And it was very easy for me to do so, right? I mean, before Rose and I did what we did, we had a very good living. I can't complain. I mean, I traveled the world. I, I had a good living. I had a house and multiple cars and... I was able to travel and take vacations. And I think that was the most powerful instrument for me was understanding that I could do it, but I'm not going to do it. And that's when I really start to understand the power of restraint and acceleration. And so in that moment of sorrow, my, that whole floor was wet and I had to come to Rosam like, listen, we're out of money and I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, I can get a job and then go back at it. And I said, nope, it's not going to happen. And she said, well, we got to do something. And she applied for all sorts of aid. She applied for the Medicare. She applied for food stamps and we scraped up whatever we could from the couch and then I had to make a drastic decision. I had to ask myself, okay, if I can't really pay the rent, I can't do this, I can't finish the project. And I have to ask my friends for money, one of my best friends. And so I reached out to her and I said, hey, listen, I need you. And without me getting much further than that, she asked me how much do I need? And at that moment, you're like, okay, it's a lifesaver. It's someone just kind of like casting over this 
lifesaver so you don't drown and take in any water. And that's what that moment meant for me. But now, fast forward so many years later, it was so much bigger than that. The power of someone else believing in me that understood that. Now, I'm not saving you for the sake of saving you. I'm saving you because I believe in you more than you may believe in yourself at the moment. And so that space in the back, most people walk over it every day. And every time I walk over it, it's an important space for me. It's a space that defines sandwich. Table number seven. That's powerful. Numero siete. That was real heavy. Very heavy. And thank you. Sorry, bro. You're asking me deep questions, bro. I got to answer it. Listen, this is what this show is about, man. It's about cultura, man. It's about family, overcoming adversity and legacy. So fast forward. It's 2022. Sandwich is well on its way. There's a lot of great things happening. You're extremely blessed, brother, you and Rosa. Family man first, because I can see that. Yeah, we have to recognize the people we're with. Exactly. This is Daniel Figueredo, and I am the owner of Sandwich de Miami, and I have the pleasure of being on Siempre Parante, always forward. I think it's a great opportunity to be able to express the power of being able to put things forward and the opportunity I've had here to talk about what it is to do what it is that you need to do within yourself on this platform has been a pleasure. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. Siempre Palante has been a very good experience for me. So rock on, my man. So I want to throw this word at you and you from there, take me through it. Legacy. What does it mean to you? What's your legacy? There's a lot of things going on now in our current state. We're building out a huge commissary. And then I can say it on this platform now, you're the first person to really know this, but we're doing Coral Gables and possibly two in Vegas. So we have come from the ashes, right? We've risen. We're still in development. We're still understanding, right? We're in a different phase of that development. And so out of spontaneity, because I'm really more the emotional guy in the relationship. I'm the guy that's much more creative and I kind of push the boundaries and I don't like the word no. I've seen some crazy shit happen to the wildest people who had a crazy idea. So I was in demolition yesterday and I'm like, you know what? We've never really documented our lives. We never documented what we're doing because somos como los caballos con los blinders, you know, estamos así, estamos mirando para adelante y no mirando para el and you're like, let me eat the hay and kind of like the my neighbors and appreciate what it is that we're doing because then by the time you know it, brother, it's like, yeah, you got something to show for it, but do we have anything to really showcase that development? And we don't have anything because we've been too busy working. So I called her up and I said, yo, I got this crazy idea. Just come meet me out. And she was, what are we doing? I was like, I need a video. Us the demo site. We bought a building, bro. We bought a quarter block. Like it's awesome. Like the point where I was four years ago, right? Asking my friend for literally 10,000 bucks to where we are now, where I bought a multi-million dollar building. You talk about this time span that's taken. I haven't had an opportunity to really express my gratitude. I believe brother, you know what I mean? 
And I haven't expressed that gratitude because I've been too busy in the grind. So I called Rose. I was like, yo, I need you to meet me here. And I got the camera on. And we went together. We like came to the house, picked up all the shit. And when she goes, what are we going to do? I was like, we need to videotape and kind of document this. And she goes, well, what are we going to do? I was like, I just want you to talk to me. And I want to talk to you. And I want to be able to talk about this. And so to make a long story short, you asked me a question about legacy. And in that conversation, that narrative that she and I are having at that moment, where it's like, you know, whatever, 30, 40 minutes long, it came back to legacy. It came back to what that message was going to be for our kids. Nobody else. Not you, not Julio, not Tico, not the people who come and visit us. It was a direct message for our kids. It was a message to hopefully the day they see that video, that they understand that they themselves can harness the power with themselves, do whatever they want. Because I think it's very egotistical of me to think that I'm going to build this empire which we're going to build that I'm doing it for the sake of my kids, which is not really the narrative at all. I'm not doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for myself. And in that action of hard work and ethic and respect and gratitude, they understand that they take that and they observe it and they build their own moral compass and they do things for themselves. Now, if it means for them to jump on board and help carry the torch and make sandwich a bigger and, brighter and more powerful brand, that's so be it. But it's not something I'm imposing on them because it's not the tone that I'm setting. The tone that I'm setting for them is being the example of the person that had an idea and executed it. The person that had an idea and believed in himself enough to be able to take the steps needed to be able to make it happen. And the person that despite the amount of adversity and challenges that we were faced with that tomorrow was just another day. And if you can take that, I think my legacy for my kids isn't so much sandwich as it is the example of what could be. That's something that is so personal. You know, it's something that I don't give a if my name's on a plaque 500 years from now, because I'm the founder of sandwich. I care more about the impact that I made on my kids and what they became as a result of the example that I made when I was living. Gracias, Daniel, for sharing your story. You and Rosa have created something special for the world to enjoy. It's not just the food that's memorable at Sandwich. It's how you and your team make people feel as if we are part of your familia. This is only the beginning, and I can't wait to see what's next. For all my listeners, kindly rate, review, follow, like, subscribe, and share. Five stars and a little love go a long way. You can listen via Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check the show notes to learn more about Sandwich and its founders, Danieli Rosa. A special Palante shout-out goes to my team, guests, and listeners. Gracias for your support. Next week, Siempre Palante is going live. Girado Luis Alvarez will be giving a recap of Season 2's highlights. There might be a special guest or two. You don't want to miss it. Tune in and tell a friend. Hasta la próxima. Balanting.